going? Episode 18. Looks a little different than what everyone's used to. For those of you who don't know, Jackson and I live you know, roughly two and a half, three hours away from each other. Yeah, we're I think to the ranch it's 160. So it's it's we have to plan pretty purposely to get together to record. And up to this point, we went, I think out of 18 weeks, we were able to get together 17 times. <laughs> Which is actually considering how many times probably previous to the last 17 weeks that we've got together in our lifetime. Like pretty seven, good. 17 times more. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. So yeah. we are this week, this last week, this podcast is being released late. We apologize for that. And we are not together in person, but I think we've got this figured out how to do it over the phone. Yeah. So yeah, we'll give us a try and see. Hopefully this doesn't become how we have to do it, but we'll do what we can. Cause you're in the studio and you got like the headphones on, you got your mic and probably got your Jocko go. And I'm, I'm sitting here in the corner of my bedroom with the camera shooting up my nostril and talking on my actual phone. Phone is actually to my ear. And so I just really pretty raw. So, so anyone anyone that gets to see video of this, we're just gonna see you in a corner with the phone up to your ear. I tried to pluck all the nose hairs out of my nostril, at least for so my right nostril you won't see too many hairs coming out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty raw. Yeah. And then and then of course the family could come bursting in at any moment. Well, well, we'll see. What, do you hang it? Do you hang a shower curtain up behind you for a backdrop, or is it just the wall? I slid. I actually slid over like a like we have a barnwood sliding door. Slid it over, and, and but I am sitting on the floor because I don't have enough the, the the GoPro the the cord for the GoPro are so short that I can't. I have to sit on the floor, otherwise the camera won't be able to plug in. There's a lot of things going on here. I know it seems simple to the video feed right now, but there's a lot of little things going on. In my corner of the, the world here. I kind of feel like what this is all summing up to is that we have reached yet another new low in our <laughs> in our quality exactly. and <laughs> <laughs> totally. One hundred percent. For anyone looking, you can see my backdrop. Got some steady at the wheel t shirts going. Let's see. Oh sweet. I'm wearing one right now. I'm gonna move this mic out of the way so you can see it. Yeah, they turned out sweet. Those pictures you sent were dope. So anyone who's listening wants to see, you can uh, on the Instagram page, there is a picture of this first run of t-shirts. You'll be able to see it on the, the YouTube in the video. And then I think we'll edit in a couple, you know, flash to some pictures probably right now while we're talking. So you can see what we're talking about if you check it out on YouTube. But yeah, got some, got some going, working on a, an actual steady at the wheel website where we can start hosting things like any any merchandise we might have for sale but also we have a couple other ideas of of just more information you guys can get yeah about us about what we have going on so look for that i'm i'm working with a website designer right now so hopefully before too long we'll have something up and going so i had a conversation with an egg farmer this last week oh oh, like a chicken eggs yeah chicken eggs we talked about the Hooterite colonies in the area. One of the one of the guys in charge of the laying barn was in the dental office and was talking to him just about egg production. And it just okay. So back up real quick. If you guys haven't had the chance to, I think most everybody has, but you have to go back. I have no idea what episode, but we do talk about the Hooterites and explain the Hooterite setup, which is basically living together communally and huge agriculture production. I mean, the big 10, 15,000 acre farms, and each one of them has, you know, a dairy, a pig production, and a few various other things, beef production. This one colony you're talking about, they do eggs, sounds like. You know, actually, a lot of the colonies now in the area are all putting in big laying barns. In fact, most of the Costco eggs, I think, are supplied by the, by the colonies here. They have big contracts with some big egg co-op montana egg co-op and i think costco buys a lot of those i think whole foods is starting to buy a lot of eggs from the colonies but these are i mean these laying barns are just massive you know 18 to thirty thousand hen barns that's a lot um, huh? 
all automated. They're, I mean, they're very clean. They have to be, particularly now that avian flu, you might be seeing or reading stories around the country of giant flocks of chickens having to be all put euthanized because this avian flu, they're required to eradicate flocks with that. So they keep things pretty tight, biosecure and clean and heavy audits in these, in these laying barns. But anyway, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. I learned an interesting thing. I'm glad you brought this up because this summer while I was trucking, I learned a very interesting thing about laying hens and what they do with laying hens when they've aged out. Do you know anything about this? Are you talking about like on a farm or a big laying facility? Like in a big facility, like in a big, you know, yeah, in a high production deal. Carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide poison them? And then they, bury yep, them? Yep. They actually end up cooking them, grind them up, cook them, and, and they end up in a lot of dog food. I, where was that? I was in Delaware. Yeah, it was Delaware. No, no, not Delaware. It was one of them, Virginia. That's where it was. It was in Virginia. I went to a little plant in Virginia where they had way out in the country, right in the middle of a bunch of chicken farms. And when they age out, they, yeah, they basically put them to sleep. And then with the carcasses, they cook them and then grind them down into a, into a powder. And that gets put in as an ingredient in a lot of pet foods, cat and dog food, which is kind of, you know, kind of a good circle of life, right? I'm hesitant to burst your bubble. I'd be curious to know, this is going down a path that I'm not even intending to go down. So I don't even know how much to talk about it. But briefly, I, I'd be curious to know how many laying facilities when their, their hens become unproductive are put into dog food. And I say yeah, that because there was a, a, a point in my history where I was working with someone in a dog food development. And we were really looking at, at these Hooterite colony, their coal hens. And there was some, I mean, it's very difficult to believe there was some pretty serious regulation and hoops to jump to with government involvement. <laughs> Say that yeah, completely no, ironically or facetiously or whatever the right word is to the point that this was a few years ago, but these hens before they were put down, they actually had to be put down in an, in a government inspected facility to become a, an inspected food. food. So while the ones you're talking about, I think that's a, a great outlet for them. I don't, I wonder how many actually are. Cause I know a lot that aren't. Huh? Yeah, no, I, this, I think back East, I think you'd be surprised. Cause it's, we haul a lot of semi loads of meal, different Turkey and chicken meal from big factory farms, big name factory farms to pet food places like Purina and, and outfits like that, that that do, but it's, I mean, it's, it's big time. So it's probably all, all the hoops and regulations are probably all squared away because it's such a high, high, huge production thing. But anyway, interesting, interesting. And, and this is probably a little lower end. I think your dog food thing was probably a little higher end. I'm guessing. Well, it was, it was actually pursuing a area contract for working dogs in the military. That's another okay. story for another time. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I want to get back to these eggs because it's it's, something's going on with the eggs that you're buying in the grocery stores that I I wasn't aware of. So you got a little insider info from a little insider info. So anyone who raises chickens that are not confined to a coop or to a, a small area where where chickens, if you have a small grassy area and your chickens are confined to it, they will quickly turn that into a dirt patch. They'll eliminate every speck of green on that dirt patch. So if you are able to be in a position to have access to eggs from chickens who are not confined, they have access to pasture where they are not able to, to destroy all the grass and eat all the grass that's, that's on this pasture. You know, they're able to eat insects, you know, eat basically what, what a bird's supposed to eat you'll notice that the yolks of these eggs are a completely different color than, than the yolks of an egg that you just get, you know, the, the just pick up a cheap dozen at the grocery store. Yeah. You'll also they're notice like rich, they're like dark, right? Dark. They taste totally different, total different color. They, I mean, they just, they don't even look anything remotely the same. And you'll notice that 
that is chickens is they in, in colder climates, if they're confined or they are, are not able to access greenery, insects and whatnot, the yolks will lighten up through the winter. And then as you know, spring and summer, fall come, those yolks will really darken up again. And there is also, if you analyze nutritional content, these darker yolks from chickens who have access to the, the wide world also have a much more nutrient-dense egg. Okay. Never... Well, if you actually did like an analysis, you'd find the, there's nutritional. Yep. They're a little more packed full of the, what you need. Which makes sense because yeah. they're, they're eating green growing grass they're eating insects they're out there you know browsing and eating yeah. a much more nutritious diet than if they are confined and you're feeding them a chicken feed usually chicken feed meets well this is with all kinds of livestock feed it meets basic nutrient requirement and then all the rest of the filler is whatever is the cheapest sourcing they can put into it yeah, exactly you know it's funny about that you say that because another another main product that we that we haul in is a lot of wheat they feed a they put a lot of wheat into pet food, which is, you know, it's a good filler. It, you know, like you're saying, it's just a filler that just meet the minimum requirements nutritionally and protein wise and whatnot. And then they just fill with fill with whatever's cheapest. With the wheat. Well, yeah. It, and I had read a, I had read once, I want to say it was French. I could be wrong with that, but countries who, who had more of a, I'm going to say a, a peasant diet, not a peasant diet, but there are countries where the, the peasant food is actually real high-end food now. And so you have chefs that really kind of focus on this peasant food. Eggs would have been a, a peasant food and they end up making these, a lot of dishes based on eggs. But these chefs actually will only do certain dishes at certain times of year based on what the chickens are eating. When they have the the weaker, lighter yolks in the wintertime, they don't make the same dishes they would make with eggs in the, in the summertime. So they fluctuate what they cook with these eggs based on the seasonality of what these birds are eating. We here at my house, we have a number of chickens who just, who range on about 50 acres. And we have unbelievable tasting and looking eggs for most of the year. But our problem with that is is predators particularly foxes we coop them up at night which eliminates skunk and raccoons every once in a while we'll we'll have a, a loss to a hawk but not very often but uh -huh. we take a beating with foxes that's so weird of all of all the predators foxes is what you have and the and the thing is they come at all hours all hours of the day and night so they're not so they, they'll snatch them in the daytime because yeah. most of the other predators are nocturnal hunters yep so they'll go right out in the day and snatch them out of the field. Oh, yep. I mean, they'll, and those chickens that they're up around the house, those foxes, they, they will be at almost the front door. Jeez. And they, they're hard to get a shot off on. They're hard. They're a little more wily for like live traps. It's, I can't hardly ever catch one in a live trap where skunks and raccoons, it's, it's I mean, you don't even have to try. Well, and same with, same with like shooting coyotes or, even when you're trucking, like a fox runs across the road, it's like super quick and dodgy. Whereas like a coyote just runs across the road. <laughs> so maybe that's the, the term sly like a fox. Maybe but yeah, so we take, we take massive losses to foxes every year, but we can sometimes put a perimeter electric fence and move that every couple of days with the chickens. But sometimes it gets so tedious that we just, we just take our losses and, and re, you know, buy a, buy a few new chicks every year. So every year we're, we're replenishing a couple of years ago when we, I think we'd lost about a hundred hens over the summer and could not, could not get a shot off on any of them. And so we, there's a local guy who seemed to be decent at snaring foxes. So he came and set up a couple snares and sure enough, he caught one of these in the snare and went out there and it was dead in the snare. It really looked like it was sleeping. It was really difficult to even tell it was dead other than it was just slightly, slightly starting to bloat. but looked real my wife had never seen a fox up close and so it looked so alive you know it looked so much like it was sleeping that it, it was almost a little cautious cautiously approach it so she came up and got down close to it she's like ah, i just kind of want to touch it i just kind of want to feel what its fur feels like and i said yeah do it no problem 
so she reached out to do it and I was off to the side where the snare was attached to the fence and the snare was around the box. <laughs> <laughs> so, right I already she, know where you're going. <laughs> right when she reached out to touch it, I pulled that snare which caused its head to jerk up. <laughs> and she, oh, man. she stumbled backwards with quite a little quite a little, <laughs> little shout couldn't, couldn't help yourself <laughs> you can't too pass up those opportunities no, so. no too easy especially with it looking so so live Any, anyway so <laughs> if you go to a grocery store you're going to find a few different classifications of eggs you're going to have just your egg you're going to have some that are labeled free range and some that are now labeled pasture eggs. I have free range. Free range basically just means they have access to the outdoors. That doesn't mean they have access to grass. There is a, a governing body that has determined per hen they have to have access to so many square feet per hen. So if you have a, I don't know, maybe let's say, let's, let's say it's two square feet. If you have a thousand hens, you have to have. 2,000 square feet of outdoor access that they can get outside doesn't mean anything other than that other than and, and like you mentioned earlier that's going to be just like scorched earth yeah dirt yeah outside because quickly quickly they they will obliterate everything on there so if you see a eggs labeled free range in the grocery store that doesn't mean anything other than they had access to outdoors and when you look at some of these big facilities that have 18,000 laying hens, and then they've got, you know, a couple acres they have access to, a lot of times they don't even go outside and then because there's, it's just scorched earth out there. So it doesn't mean anything other than they can put that on the label of the eggs and charge you more for it. Now you realize, you realize by sharing that information, you've probably just ruined the day of a lot of people out there but i'm gonna because I think, i'm going to benefit the pocketbook though oh yeah so yeah. Yeah, that's, there's a that's consolation true. in that because you can buy the cheaper eggs if you got just a traditional egg or a free range egg that is such like a marketing not, there's not going to be a nutritional difference oh. let me actually qualify that i want to say there's not going to be a nutritional difference if you have one facility that's feeding the same diet you're not going to have a nutritional difference. You may, if the eggs are sourced from different places and the, the late, the farmers are feeding them a different, you know, a different, um, you know, one may be more nutritious simply because of the ration, but it's not more nutritious because it is free range. Now, the thing that used to be where you could have some salvation in your eggs was pasture raised. But now I've found out per my conversation this past week that the same governing body that said free range has put a definition of pasture raised. So to me, pasture raised is your chickens go out and they have access to as much greenery as they could ever want. That's what I think pasture raised should mean. That's what you call it. I mean, that's what you call yours. You're their pasture hen because they literally run with your cattle out in the pasture, scraping through their manure and their, what's out there. So, I mean, yeah. So when you hear pasture, you're, you're, that's pasture. I mean, but that's not what the label means. No, in fact, I'm looking up this, this certifying the organization. They have now defined pasture raised requirements is 1,000 birds per two and a half acres. And the fields must be rotated. Birds. So 1,000 birds per two and a half acres. I'm going to say 1,000 birds and two and a half acres of grass will give you a hard packed driveway in about three days. <laughs> wouldn't it yeah yeah thousand birds on two and a half so so pasture raised has just basically increased the amount of square foot per bird they have to do but it has removed any requirement from them being able to have access to constant greenery or pasture wow. and so to me you would know if you have what i consider true pasture eggs by the color of the yolk so that's how you judge it. No, yeah. no. That's what I would have thought. But per my conversation again, their eggs, when they sell them for free range or pasture, chicken, eggs, they're cracked open and the yolks are color analyzed and they have to meet a certain color standard. And you can increase paprika in your feed no ration way. and you can darken the yolks oh, to meet the good. color requirement. What? 
<laughs> what a ripoff! Like seriously, and I what a rip. So, and I I know I know for sure Whole Foods buys these pasture eggs that meet a requirement of a thousand birds per two and a half acres. It doesn't have any requirement of amount of grass or greenery, which would be considered a pasture, in my opinion, to meet that requirement. So Whole Foods is charging. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they're 10 or 12 bucks a dozen now for these pasture eggs that are most likely artificially colored with paprika in the food to give them darker yolks. I don't know how on an industrial scale for grocery stores, Costco, those types of things. I don't know how you could ever get that much of a concentration of chickens out on access to complete greenery. So I guess what I'm ultimately going to say is if you want pasture true pasture eggs with a very authentic dark yolk, you're going to have to either do it yourself or you're going to have to find someone that does it where you can actually see what their setup is because the joke that this whole egg thing is, it's all a word game. It's the set definition. Wait, 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 hold on. The joke. Yeah, if you can figure out how to (laughs) combine joke and yolk, you'll get a new comedic low from me. (laughs) The joke. (laughs) I will admit that during the middle of the winter when, you know, there's not as much light, our, our hens quit laying for a period of the winter and mm-hmm. we will, we will buy eggs and we have always bought the ones that say pasture, but now, and here's the thing, like at these colonies, the traditional eggs, the free range or the pasture, they're all being fed the same ration, uh-huh. except for something to cut co- something like paprika added to cause yolk coloration that is so bizarre so i i don't think i will i don't think i'll ever spend money on pasture eggs or free range eggs ever again from i never did with free range but i i used to think there was some legitimacy to pasture but now wow the only now here's the yeah. last last thing then we're gonna quit talking about eggs the only thing that would <laughs> okay. actually make me consider buying pasture is there it's usually in association with an organic feed diet which means you're going to know that the feed that they were fed was was most likely free of glycophosphates and and all other weird chemicals because they wouldn't qualify as organic so if you feel that you're going to have any ill health from a chicken eating feed that is has got some weird chemicals in it and then pass on to the egg but other than that, if you have a if you have an organic egg, an organic free range egg, or an organic pasture egg, I'm now of the opinion that there's not going to be reason to buy the expensive one. Now this is a bummer for anyone who's trying to do pasture eggs on a commercial level and actually having them on pasture because like they're doing getting, it the, like the legitimate yeah because their the ex, their way. expenses would be so much higher than these guys who just go find you know fifteen Man. or twenty acres and put a huge you know, multi-thousand laying barn on it. I just don't understand what it is with government wanting to essentially make ways for the food industry to just hide things. You know, it was a few years ago, and this was big in the cattle world. Basically, well, they did. They didn't basically. They repealed a law that was called cool or country of origin labeling. And... In the past, there was a law that you had to say where the meat was raised. What country, Just the country. You know, this meat's a product of Brazil or Mexico or Argentina or Australia. And the World Trade Organization pressured the U.S. really hard. And we caved and we removed country, country of origin labeling from the meat. So the meat in the stores could come from anywhere and anywhere. So for these big commercial outfits they can wherever they can get you know cheap cheap beef they can bring in and grind up and blend and it's just weird guy I, I just don't it's so i don't and i don't know what it is or why it is but yeah just, well anyway i think we talked enough about crop. eggs well i need to apologize because the reason that we are not in person together is because i feel like i cursed i kind of cursed myself this week because we spent, was it two episodes in a row with with closed roads and winter driving stories? Maybe three episodes in a row. And I, I you know, I, I kind of portrayed myself as the winter warrior, I feel like. And in doing so, maybe tempted the fates 
<laughs> the powers of the bee to uh, send a little adversity my way. And, you know, I had planned for you guys out there. My plan was to, to be at Luke's Sunday night, Monday, and do some recording in person. But I, I encountered some unbelievable winter adversity the last three days. I've got to tell you about it because it's it's pertinent and there's probably a few little tricks you can learn from this. So my December schedule is weird because normally I don't I don't book anything. I I just keep my schedule wide open from October till Christmas because I never know where I'm going to be. I never know with the trucking, you know, when someone's going to call and need a load of cattle moved. But as our music and the band engagements and whatnot have kind of taken off this last, you know, year or so. We felt the need to accept some wintertime shows. Now, last year, we didn't even have any shows in the wintertime. Nobody even asked. But however things worked out this December, we've, we've got a show every weekend in December leading up to Christmas. Which is great because we love to play music. It's, it's a great release. It's a fun hobby. It's a fun thing we do. But... It provides some challenges for me because I have to be home by the end of the week, you know, because I'm, you know, the sound guy. I set up all the sound and and it's just hard to, it's hard to be out a band member, right? Hey, do you guys I, still call your band the Sightliners featuring the yep. Jacks? No, no, no. Come on, man. <laughs> oh. Well, I just thought with a little bit of. A little bit of a notoriety gaining with the YouTube that that might might draw some, <laughs> might, <laughs> might draw some people. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. I played in a band one time where we were getting together. We were organizing the band, and the leader of the band asked us to come up with some names. And so we started. This was years ago. So kind of start coming up with some names and and shoot them over. And we get the list of names back that he had been working on. And it was every single of the 20 things that we came up with were his name and the, which was, you know, like, like Bob and the Benders, Bill and the Barbarian. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay. So it's not really a band name. It's like your name with whoever is the band. <laughs> so. Anyway, so yeah, so the sightliners feature in the jacks. So, be- well, so I, I have a thought on that with your your previous okay. band. Mm-hmm. I think if I'd have been in your shoes, let's just say this person's name was Bob. Yeah. I think I would have said, you know what? Let's call it Bob in the Mirrors, because you certainly. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> because he be might might seem to like looking at himself in the mirror a lot of everything's that name Bob in the mirror. so so that comes back to this do you like jacks and the sightliners better or the sightliners featuring the jacks neither none it well, if you, if you none. had to pick one of those if you had to if, oh, if you had to yeah jacks and sightliners versus sightliners <laughs> they're both really bad <laughs> so I, I'd have, I think I'd go with Feature in the Jacks but they're really bad <laughs> yeah it, it just feels a little more passive <laughs> yeah I think so on the on the back side of the name yeah, it just features a little, a little more pass a little more passive it still says yeah you know it's, it's me but it's not me you know it's not me first it's <laughs> but then the third person me. reference the third person sounding reference really kind of pumps it back up to being yeah i don't know <laughs> i i'm sorry i hijacked your your thread there so you were saying no, that your no, your okay. winter schedule has been very busy with the right because we added these, these, yeah so we added these weekend shows in well i'm like this is no big deal this is fine i'll just find some other trucking stuff to do i can't really haul cows now these these weeks because it's very rare that we get a load on monday or tuesday that would get me out to Nebraska and then all the way back home in plenty of time, you know, to get the band set up. So I get a call the other day and it's a, it's a cattle customer actually. And he drums like, Hey man, do you still haul hay? And I used to haul hay. That was one of the things that got me going when I first started trucking. So I don't haul much hay other than for the ranch here, but I was like, eh, I need something that's, you know, 
can fit my schedule. So I'm like, well, yeah, maybe. What do you got? He goes, I got a hundred ton of hay that needs to go from basically where you live over there to a little place called Harlem, Montana. It's about a 200 mile run loaded. So, you know, 400 mile round. The money's decent. It's not insane great, but it's it's like, it, you know, this works. This will keep some cash flow coming in, make me a little money. And it fits my schedule. I can do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, and then like this week we're, we're flying out tomorrow to go to Vegas to go play music in Vegas, which is going to be kind of fun. Is that the one with Celine Dion you guys are opening for? Yeah. Yeah. Opening for Celine Dion there at the, at the MGM Grand. Heart, <laughs> your heart will go on. <laughs> so, so we're going to Vegas to play. It's a, it's a private company party. Just kind of a random fun thing. You know, a little opportunity that you're like, you know what? How many times is someone going to fly us to Vegas to go play music? So let's do it. So anyway, this is, you know, two weeks ago, I told Jerome, yes, I will come to your place. I'll load hay Monday and Tuesday, and it'll be great. I can get this done in three rounds because I got a great big set of trailers that can haul 32 ton per load. And three rounds will bang it out, piece of cake. Well, then I start looking at the weather last weekend, and it's like the storm of the century shall descend upon Montana Sunday night. <laughs> like, oh, oh, that's okay. I mean, I, I got a little snow. Like, I've been preaching to everybody on the podcast, like, you don't need to be out in it. Don't be out in it. But I'm like, mm -hmm, I'll be all right. And I'm telling myself I need to be doing this because, you know, if I don't, I'm not going to have any loads for the whole week. So, again, I need a little gambling money for Vegas, right? So I, I call him and I'm like, can we kind of roll this forward into Sunday afternoon, get a jump on it? Well, the schedules didn't work. So I show up and we load 5 a.m. on Monday. It's snowing a couple inches. And I'm thinking, Ah, this big storm of the century thing. And nobody ever hears about the Montana storms because, you know, we just get them regular and, you know, they get three inches of snow in New York City and everyone's like front page news. So whatever, we get loaded and I get rolling. Well, the storm starts blowing in on Monday and I get up to where I'm unloading and it's really cutting loose. And I get out of my truck and take my straps off, get the hay unloaded. And I go to pull out of this guy's place and like four of my wheels are frozen and will not spin, will not turn. And this is, this is part of wintertime driving. However, it usually happens in the wintertime when you set your brakes. So like in a semi, you, you know, apply the parking brake and it presses the brake shoes against the drum and they'll freeze together. So when you release them, they're stuck the springs aren't strong enough to break the ice that's freezing the pad to the drum, if that makes sense. So what you usually do is you go out with these carry little sledgehammer and you go out and you give it a big whack and jarring that just a big thump on the drum is enough to break that ice bond and the brake shoe will spring back into place and you drive on your way. So I get out and I bang on this thing and I go and nothing and I bang on them. And I try to go and nothing. And I bang on. I was there for like an hour banging around on these wheels and they won't go. And I've never had this before. So I'm like, well, that's weird. So what I ended up doing was I got my tools out and I actually, you can manually use a wrench and adjust the brakes away from the drum. So that when they do break loose, there'd be a big gap there. But it also, it's kind of a double-edged sword because the downside of that is you're not going to have brakes on that wheel end until you adjust the brakes back in place. But I've got so much snow now at this point coming down that I'm like, if I can just get these couple of wheels going, I still have like, I mean, this trailer's got one, two, three, four, five. It's a five axle trailer setup. So I've got all kinds of other wheels with brakes. You know, I'm not too worried about it. So I finally, after a bunch of beating and beating, I ended up actually having to get my torch out and torched them a little bit, heated the brake shoes. I got them free. So I go back and I get my next load. And the whole way back, it's snowing and blowing and really starting to, the storm has arrived. So I get the second load on, no problems. Everything's going smooth. I go all the way back, no problems. Everything's going smooth. I unload, no problems. Everything's going smooth. Other than the fact that it's still really blasting. So I get back 
I get back for my last load, but it's the middle of the night. So I go to take a little, a little nap for about four hours. And at this point now, the, the temperature has also taken a turn for the worse. It's like six, seven below zero. And I get to the truck stop and I'm like, all right, I'm going to sleep here till daylight. And I'll go out to the farm. We'll load this last load and I'll get home before it gets like 15 below. Cause that night, that night, which was two nights ago, it's going to be real nasty. So if you're still following the story with me, I park at the truck stop and I did everything right. I didn't set my brakes. I take my nap and I wake up and my entire back three axles. And these are the axles that I've actually already released the brakes on. Like I have no brakes back there to start with. Still, there's been so much snow and powder on the road that it's packed my, my hub and my drums. 100% full of snow and ice. So you can't even see in there to see the components inside the drum. And all all three axles are completely locked up, which three axles means <laughs> six wheels. Okay. So I'm like, oh, okay. And it's like, you know, it's one thing to have. Usually you'll have one, maybe two that hang up. I've got six and it's below zero and it's snowing and it's nasty. But I'm, I'm in the truck stop at least. So I go out and start doing my thing, banging on things, banging on the drums, nothing. So I get my torch out. And you got to be careful with your torch because you have limited capacity on the canister. You know, it's not like you have unlimited flames. So I go and I, I heat up as many as I can and I get all of them going except for two. And I get to my last two and they will not, they will not. Now, by this point, since I had woken up, I've been out in the, in the negative degree weather for a little over two hours now laying and you have to lay on the asphalt, which is covered in snow and ice and crawl underneath your rig with your hammers, torches, pitchforks, and all the tools you can find. And I mean, I'm cold, like my bum cheeks are like iced and I'm sitting in the truck and I had the, that I've mentioned on the podcast is why are you out here? Like, what are you doing? And I'm looking around and all the other truckers, they didn't have any troubles. They all pulled out of the parking lot. They all went on their way. No problems. But I, I started to convince myself. I was like, if I, not, not if, but when I get this done, I'm going home. I'm not even going to go do the last load. I'm like, forget it. I'm through. I don't want to do it. I'm just done. So I've convinced myself when I get these two rolling, I'm going to leave. Well, I go out and bang on them some more. Still wouldn't come loose. So I've come back in the second time now. I'm warming up the truck. And at this point, I'm about ready to just drive. And what will happen if you don't get your wheels rolling, you'll drive down the highway and your wheels will pop because they're scraping on the highway, right? And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, I don't even care. I'll pop my tires. I'll grind my wheels off. I don't care. I'm so <laughs> over this. Freezing cold. My butt cheeks are numb. My Everything's numb. My fingers hurt. My face hurts. I'm through. And then I see a towing company over across the road. And they've got one of them big tow trucks with a kind of a, they call it a rotator on the back. And I'm like, I'm going to drag it over there and I'm going to have them just load. I'm going to actually unhook my second trailer, my pup. And I'm going to have them just set it on the back of my front trailer. And I'm just going to like basically pack up my toys and be gone. Well, then Rooster calls me out of the blue. Good old Rooster. And he has no idea any of this is going on. You know? So, hey, he's always chipper. How's it going? And I'm like, horrible. And I'm just start telling him how much I can't stand the snow and the ice and all this stuff. And uh, he just listens and, and he goes, you know, I don't know a lot about mechanic and stuff, but I had a little ace in the hole. Do you want to hear about it? And I'm like, <sighs> and it's like, yeah, you want to hear it, but you're so frustrated that you're like, no, I don't want to hear it. I, I, I just, ah. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That, so I end up, I end up saying, yes, okay, what, what do you got? He goes, I, I would go in and I get some, they make this product called airline antifreeze. And it's basically, you just pour it in your airlines and your semi when it's cold. If you get a little ice inside your airlines, they'll keep your, you know, keep your truck from working right. So you can pour a little bit of that and it'll, it'll kind of blow it through your airlines and, and try to melt any ice that's in your airlines. And old rooster goes, I'm going to go, I would go in and I would get airline antifreeze. And I always carried a little spray bottle and I'd pour some in that spray bottle and then I'd squirt it. 
in real fine mist, and I scored it, and all right up inside the brake shoes, and all around in there, and that that alcohol that's in it like melts ice, right? So he goes, "Why don't you? Why don't you go see what you can find in there?" And I don't know why I didn't think of this. I think it was because I was so worked up in my anchors that I was just like, <laughs> "Whatever," you know. So I go in the truck stop. They've got a bottle. They, well, they have a bunch of it. So I get a bottle of airline antifreeze. And as I start looking through the shelves, I see that they have some aerosol windshield de-icer, which is basically just aerosoled alcohol. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. So then I start hatching this plot. I'm like, so I'm going to dump this alcohol in there, which is it's slightly flammable. And then I'm going to spray this de-icer in there, which is also flammable. And then I realized, why not just light like a bonfire inside my wheel? So I see at the end of the, the shelf, there's some carburetor cleaner. And carburetor cleaner is nice because it's flammable, but it's a little bit, it doesn't just evaporate. It, it actually kind of sticks to stuff and holds and will actually burn for a minute. Whereas like starting fluid, you put you know flame to a can of starting fluid and you've seen all those videos where they pop those tires and get them, get those flat tires fixed with starting fluid. Anyway, so I get my, uh, I get my carburetor cleaner. I get my de-icer, I get my airline antifreeze, I get my torch, and I get my sledgehammer. And I'm like, I'm going to war with these last two wheels. So I sloshed a bunch of airline antifreeze into the bottom brake shoe. And sure enough, it ran between the drum and the brake shoe all the way under the whole thing, melted all the ice out. And then I sprayed the de-icer for the windshield and the top brake shoe. And I think it got most of the ice out. But just to be sure, then I lit my torch and got my carburetor cleaner and sprayed. Think of it like basically a wartime flamethrower <laughs> where you're just shooting flame right into your, into your hub. And so I blasted this hub full of, I actually, before I even did the flame, I sprayed just all over everything. I sprayed this carburetor cleaner all over my brake drum all over my brake shoes, just everywhere. And then I lit it on fire. And <laughs> I've got this fire going in the truck stop. And, the, you know, the truckers that were around are looking going, what? And by this point, like, my tire's on fire. And I'm, I'm just sitting under there, like, camped out, just watching. And I'm like, it's all good, you know. And that carb cleaner, it looks sketchy. But, you know, if you just put your, you know, take your leather glove and rub it over it, it, it snuffs it out. But from afar, it looked like I was having a weenie roast, you know. And so I did it to both sides, lit the fire, heated everything up, jumped in my truck, and guess what? Bada boom. Free rolled. So I got her all squared away after two and a half hours. I got rolling. And I didn't have the heart to go home. <laughs> so I went back to the farm and I loaded the third load and we, we got out and we got back. But I feel like it was all because I talked so much about bad roads the last few weeks that I was just put into the, just in the middle of the frying pan, so to speak. I think that's the definition of mother nature saying, hold my beer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> mother nature's mm-hmm. listened to you talk and said, all right, hold my beer. We're going to see. Hold my beer. I'm going to show this boy something. <laughs> so that's exactly what it was. But I think now I'm actually moving forward. It works so well. I'm going to add this to my winter preparation kit for my toolbox and my semi. I'm, of course, I'm going to keep a good torch, like the butane torches you can buy. Not the little cigarette lighter handheld ones. We're talking like they're a big blue or yellow canister, you know, that'll that'll hold a flame for two or three hours. I'm, I'm keeping that. I'm going to keep a good stock of that airline antifreeze, which I normally have a little in there, but I'm going to keep a good stock of it. And as a carb cleaner to make some good fire that'll... That'll keep burning and some of that windshield de-icer worked really well. So I'm going to keep that because undoubtedly I will experience it again. And anyway, Hmm. it was a lesson lesson learned. But really I got home, let's see, I got home last night and someone asked if I was going to go trucking today. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. And they said, well, why is that? I said, because I ran out of, I ran out of diesel. I, when I left that last load, I, I, I fueled up the very last tiny little vestige because remember there's the diesel shortage that said in 20 days or whatever <laughs> there would be no more diesel anywhere left period and so uh, we officially ran out apparently and yeah have you been following that at all not since we talked about it i, I should i should have looked up some follow-ups but i haven't heard any more 
you know any more things about it have you have you looked into it <clears throat> i you know i came across a there's a, a website that i like to go to sometime sometimes and it's, it's called the institute of energy research and they have a yeah. lot of a lot of articles that i uh, i feel give you a little more accurate assessment of what's what's happening i came across an article in there that was talking about the diesel shortage what's actually causing it i, I still haven't really f- known what exactly does the diesel shortage mean and, and there were some articles on there and some links in there that that kind of started to describe it better for me and then i and then come to find out our supply has actually slightly risen over the last little bit instead of like like 24 days or like 29 days okay but this article was really interesting i, I jotted a couple notes down because i i was going to mention it you know it was the big it was the big news thing a few weeks ago this big diesel shortage and then i'm not even sure what the next the next uh, catastrophe that we had to deal with as a society was so we've forgotten about the diesel shortage flushed it down the toilet <laughs> right but that diesel shortage has not gone away we've increased it slightly but that everything that sparked that idea of the diesel shortage is still there uh-huh. the and what this article was saying is that the current administration biden's administration in trying to answer the diesel shortage are, are putting a couple a couple main talking points out there or action points one of them is they want to start banning diesel and, and heating oil jet fuel exports so we're not huh. exporting it anymore there are people within the industry that say that's a bad idea that that'll actually cause costs to rise in the united states I didn't fully understand that it, yeah. they didn't go into details but they were talking they were referencing particularly in the northeast relies on a lot of imports and so if we start banning exports we are not going to then receive the imports which will then cause the banned exports prices to rise i didn't fully understand that but it's something to do with that and then another thing that they want to do is they want to put a minimum requirement on diesel stocks in the united states so apparently there's a lot of countries in the world that have minimum requirements and we don't so the the Biden administration is is putting pressure on whoever's in private companies to increase their diesel stocks that and then apparently they the Biden administration cannot force them to within the executive order it actually is a an act of congress that has to be passed to get them to increase diesel stock the diesel stockpiles in the United States huh. but the then the people who have the ability to stockpile diesel say that's going to cause a big rise in the short term of diesel because we don't have storage for it so a bunch of storage would have to be put in place which will be expensive so essentially the industry is saying the administration's answers to this diesel shortage is to do things that are actually going to increase the cost of diesel Hmm. that doesn't surprise me i don't feel like in general anything you know governmental answers rarely rarely seem to well in so this article i'm saying they actually the government answers are contributing to the problem hmm. what this article went on to say was the real problem for diesel shortage is our refining capacity since 2020 the u.s has lost one million barrels per day of, of diesel and heating fuel jet fuel they, they kind of link group those all together but okay. we've lost 1 million barrels per day refining capacity since 2020. Just since 2020? Since 2020, we've lost 1 million barrels worth of refining capacity in the United States. Huh. That's an interesting year <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah. as um, things change hands 2020. So in, in fact, right now in the United States, we have 129 refineries and only seven of them in the Northeast. And everyone keeps saying the Northeast is going to run out of diesel. That's because they use uh, there's a lot of heating that's done there with with fuel oil or that fuel heating oil, oil. Right. so that's why everyone keeps referencing the northeast is going to have these prob- troubles because it's not just the, uh, the vehicles you know that it's being used there it's it's also for a lot of the huh. heating so why have we lost refining capacity with this article it said did, there, did they talk did they talk about that yep they did say there was there was some covid related stuff but the biggest problem is regulations regulations are shutting down refineries another one that was interesting is 
there are huge, huge lucrative subsidies for diesel refineries to convert to biofuel refining. Oh. So some of these refineries are, are dropping capacity because they're actually the government's paying them to not refine diesel, but to do biofuel instead. Huh. But an example of, of regulations in St. Croix, which is Virgin Islands, there's a, a refinery there, which was once one of the world's largest. It was doing about 650,000 barrels per day. There's, there was some law called the Jones Act. I have no idea what this is, but they, it said they are exempt from it. So that allowed them to very cheaply transport fuel to the Northeast. So particularly this refinery in St. Croix was very important for the Northeast. And that refinery has been completely shut down under the Biden administration. I think hmm. 2021, it was completely shut down and they are not able to get it up and running until they meet some, a variety of regulations with the EPA. I don't understand how, but there's also some department of justice regulations. They have to apply for new, new permits, all kinds of stuff that are all extremely expensive. No, this isn't, I, I think that there, there does need to be safety measures and environmental measures in place, but it's just crazy to me that our, our current government administration is instead of doing everything in their power to support and get these refineries up and running, they are just hammering them, keeping them shut down to meet and meet all these regulations. I'm not saying shortcut regulations, but get in there and help them. Yeah. Get in yeah, there and help them. Um, the mm -hmm. St. Croix refinery was open under Trump's administration. I mean, diesel was half the price. I mean, this, this was a very influential refinery for American diesel, but yeah, for some reason we just don't, they don't get any help for these refineries. They just get more expensive regulations requirements put into place. But this article you know, was just saying, hey, our, our diesel problem is lack of refineries and lack of refineries is heavily, heavily influenced by being shut down with oh. regulation. Huh. Huh. So they definitely have the power to make things work or help, help alleviate things if they want to was kind of the takeaway. Yep. Yeah. Huh. You know, here's another thing I want everyone to remember about too. Because I'm, I'm starting to hear this in the trucking circles. It's, you know, it's been so high for so long. And we've had some temporary relief. Everybody's noticed, you know, this last 10 days, two weeks, that in some areas, prices have gone down almost a dollar a gallon. And I'm hearing a lot of, boy, this is, this is awesome. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, it, it, it's nice to have some, some relief. But everyone really, really, really needs to remember that Diesel being 360, 370, 380 a gallon is not awesome. <laughs> it's not. Prior to this last year, 360, 370 was outrageous. I mean, just to put this into reference, in my entire trucking career, prior to this past year, so all years that I've ever trucked prior to this last year, the highest fuel ever was, and it was like the first year I started hauling cattle out of state, fuel got up in Montana fuel got up to 416 a gallon and it was just unbelievable and it was just for a little short time it was i think i can't remember the year but it was a short time and then it went down you know back way back down and now if you could get 416 a gallon somewhere people in montana are going boy that's pretty awesome and you're like hold on you've forgotten you've become numb they've become so you know numb to how high things were that when it gets down to a price that's still outrageous, everyone's starting to condition and feel like, oh, I've been conditioned that anything under $4 or around $4 is amazing. And it's not, it's, it's terrible. So I don't want everyone to lose their fire, you know, on the truck front and start to feel like, well, you know what? $4 diesel's fine. You know, and I know everybody in the other parts of the world that, that may watch this, this episode or hear me say this, you know, you have way higher diesel prices and you always have It's been that way forever. But here it's not cool to have $4 diesel. It never will be. And I just want everyone to, to just think back to the, you know, two years ago, four years ago, six years ago, you know, $4 fuel is outrageous and nobody should, nobody should ever get into the, 
mindset that, you know what, this is fine because it's just unnecessary and it causes a lot of pain down the line for everybody. Yeah. Well, anyway, if anyone has any comments, oh, hey, I know a couple other things I want to do before we end, Jackson. Yeah. There, were, there were a couple questions that people wrote on Instagram. Let me pull them up here. Oh, cool. Has someone write and say, do you know what the definition of a Rocky Mountain trailer is? Oh, I bet they're talking about Rocky Mountain doubles would be my guess. You know what? Probably because it said, and if you have ever driven doubles or triples, which are typically not found on the East Coast. Mm, yep. Rocky Mountain doubles are found in, in a lot of the West and they're more or less. They're a, well, that's, that's what I was pulling. I had all this trouble the last couple of days. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Funny. They brought that up. It's a front trailer that's going to be like 40 to 48 feet long. And then the, the trailer behind it's going to be like a 28 foot, you know, that's about half the size of the front trailer. So it's two trailers. We call them doubles going down the road. And the front one's pretty much a regular size trailer. And then about a half size trailer getting pulled behind it. And they're tricky because the biggest trick about them is virtually and basically speaking, you can't back them up. I mean, you can, you can back up a few feet you know, 10, 15 feet, but you can't do a, a very good controlled reverse very easily is what I should say. So they're tricky because everywhere you go, you always have to be immediately looking for a, an escape route. Like, can I get in here without backing up? Mm. So, but you can move way more freight because you've got a whole other trailer behind you. So you're kind of a cool rig, okay. but very hard on the bad roads too, because that trailer back there, that pup trailer is just like an anchor around your neck in the ocean every hill you climb up is just trying to drag you down okay well so speaking of that with your that very back one that pup trailer you thought you might actually get that thing speared by a train this last weekend didn't you yeah i I really honestly did i've seen you guys have all seen those videos right where you're like here's this semi parked on a track and just gets cut in half and you're like how why would he be parked on a railroad crossing? And then this week I was like, well, things happen. <laughs> so, so the place I was delivering this hay to, it was this county road paralleled the train tracks. But the county road was a good 10 feet in elevation below the railroad bed. So when you get to this guy's ranch, you turn off the county road onto this, basically this little secondary county road. Which so county roads the gravel road, secondary county roads the smaller gravel road. So you would have to make a left hand turn and make that ten foot climb. I mean, in you probably had forty feet to climb ten feet in elevation, which is a steep climb. So you'd make a left hand turn and have to climb up the hill onto the tracks and over the tracks and then kind of down the other side of the tracks and. It was pretty good. The truck would go up it, lead trailer would go up it, and then when that pup trailer, you had to start pulling that pup trailer up the the hill, start spinning your wheels, and you're like, oh, oh. So you really had to hog on it and be very careful because, in fact, it was sketchy enough, and and this this railroad track has trains that run across the high line of Montana. Probably every, you know, 40 minutes, 30 minutes, there's a train cruising through there one, one way or another. And my second load, I actually called him and was like, hey, can you come down here with your tractor and be by the tracks so that if I get stuck, you can push me? <laughs> so I'm stuck here. And he did. He came down and I made it. But the third one was the one I actually really spun out. I, I started, I turned my truck. And, and the other problem was you can't get any momentum because you're making a 90 degree left hand turn. So you have to be going slow to make the turn. And then once you made the turn, you hog on it. But I spun all the way up, all the way over and just barely crawled across. If you ever do get yourself in that situation, every railroad crossing has a, a like a, a sign with a phone number on it. Before you do anything, you immediately just run out there and go call that phone number if you have cell service because that's the dispatcher for the rail line. And then they'll shut any trains down that are in the area. So first and foremost, go call the number. Thankfully, I did not get hung up. I, I really thought that third trip I was going to, and I didn't. But anyway, this is a little tidbit for you. Oh. <laughs> call the phone number before all else, and then and then go to work trying to get yourself unstuck. <laughs> well, if you're uh, you imagine if your wheels it would be 
Your wheels are locked up, iced up. Just put them in front of a train and see if that jars them loose. <laughs> that would that would jar them. Could you imagine the spectacular show that a semi load of hay would make getting speared by a train? It'd just be like a green explosion of hay dust. <laughs> everything. Oh man. oh, man. Okay, so there's another question here, and this is one I would not have a clue on. It has to do with tires and wheels. Huh? And then someone asks if if you an advantage or disadvantage of twenty two and a half or versus twenty four and a half wheels on a semi or trailer. Oh, that's that's a really good, actually a very good and pertinent question these days. I there used to be just a quick little history. Most trucks back in the day used to run twenty four point five. That means the rim. Those numbers are talking the rim size. So twenty four and a half inch rim is bigger around obviously than a 22 and a half inch rim all the old trucks used to run 24s but for whatever reason as time has gone on 22.5s have become more prevalent my advice to you if you're listening or wondering would be to convert everything you can to 22.5s and the reason being that out on the road at tire shops around the country they just are everyone's just getting in more and more to 22.5s. And so it gets, it gets hard to find 24.5s on the road. If you're a ranch truck and you can order your tires well in advance, you know, do what you want. Some people like 24s because it gives you a little more ground clearance. So you're a little higher off the pavement in certain agriculture applications. That's important. But for an on-highway truck, I've, I'm converting all my trailers and everything I can to 22.5 because... I just can't find 24.5 tires as easily. You can still find them. It's just more of a pain, you know, like you run to town and, oh, I need to grab a couple tires. Let's go get some before we leave. You go there and they're like, yeah, I can order them in, you know, in a few weeks, but I don't have any on hand. So that's a good question. Can a 24 carry more load than a 22? No, no, you'll get weighed the same. That's hard to answer that question kind of but gotcha gen- let's say generally speaking no they're you're you're okay 22 is legal for just as much as a 24 so it's it really comes down to clearance more than anything but but that's just the way they all are going now 20 20 all these fleet trucks and stuff all the big companies have decided 22 is the way and everything caters to the fleets out on the road, all the truck stops and stuff, because that's their main customers. So. so even if there are advantages to 24-5, overwhelming disadvantage that if you blow a tire out, you might be stuck for a little while to order one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, in fact, I just had it the other night. I was in Rapid City and I had a flat tire on my cow trailer. So I pulled in to have them patch it. And they're like, ooh. If we can't patch this, you know, we don't have any 20. This was at a Love's truck stop. We we don't have any 24, you know, I had 11R 24.5, big tall tires. They said, we don't have any. We haven't seen these in forever. We don't have any of these around. So I have to buy two. I don't know. You might have to buy rims. And that's what you'll get into. Like, if you can't find the tires, then you got to buy smaller rims. <laughs> so you get stuck buying a rim and a tire. So. And, and in, on my on my trailer, I would have had to buy two rims for that position. So mm. anyway, yep, I would. And, and if you're wondering if you do want to switch over, a cheap way to do it is to uh, go to a go to a salvage yard, truck parts place, and say, "Hey, I'm looking for some some used 22.5 rims. I want to switch my trailer over to 22.5s." They usually have some laying around. You can get into them a lot cheaper that way. Well, all right. Well. So. Word. Yeah, this, uh, yeah, this was good. It was a little weird. It's, it's, it's kind of weird on the phone. I'm going to definitely say I don't like it as much because it's hard to interact as, you know, back and forth, but, but definitely doable. Yeah, if it's what we got to do, we'll do our best not to, but if it's what we got to do, we'll do it to get something out there. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think everyone will appreciate it. So. Instagram is State the Wheel Podcast, Jackson's YouTube page, Wild Wild West, his Instagram, Shamanush. And then email steadyatthewheelpodcast at gmail.com. And then, like I said, we are working on a website where we're going to have some t-shirts. I think some, some because it's winter time, I think we're going to start with some beanies on there. I want one of those. Those will be cool. <laughs> Especially after like you've been crawling cool. around under your truck for two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So working on those. Other than that, yeah. Let us know if you have any questions for us. And I think we've got some 
think we've got some neat things lined up for the podcast over the next month and a half oh, or so. Yeah. So. Hey, real quick, I almost forgot. I just got word, little secret info that old Billy Jack is in town next week for sure. And I think we need to get old Rooster and Billy Jack together. So hopefully we can line that up. Mm. Yeah, that'll will be one. I think I'm just going to sit back and listen. <laughs> right. Let those two carry on. Yeah. Yeah, we got that. We got Weston's coming into town for a little while. So Jackson Weston's early trucking stories. And then you got a couple other buddies that have some interesting stories that we're going to get on. So, yep. so I think I think it'll be a good a good other couple months worth of, of episodes here. So, yep, sure. all right, guys, we, we really appreciate you listening and everyone be safe out there.